In the 1988 movie, Tucker, it's a story of a man who tried to fight the Detroit automobile industry by attempting to introduce a car that he had named after himself. In one scene, Tucker is talking about how his mother came from the old country. She was Italian, and he said she had a very heavy Italian accent. And he remembered that for years, when he was young, she would always say to him, don't get too close to people, you'll catch their dreams. What she was really saying in broken English was don't get too close to people, you'll catch their germs. But Tucker grew up thinking all this time that she was saying don't get too close to people or you'll catch their dreams. That can happen sometimes. We can get caught up in somebody else's dreams. There was one man who wasn't going to let that happen to him. A man named Jim Egan worked at the West Coast Computer Fair back in the 70s. His job there was to help people decorate their displays, their booths. Well, industry shows were the cheapest way back in those days to reach your customers that were within the trade. But some entrepreneurs hardly had enough money to rent a booth, never mind pay for decorations. Well, Egan was approached by a couple of long-haired kids, he says, who wanted some displays to make their booth look flashy. They wanted some chrome displays. Well, he said he had the displays for them, but they were for rent and they have to pay for them. He said, well, we're a little bit short of cash, but maybe you might like some stock in our new company. And he said, well, thinking to himself, I've been doing this for about 20 years and I've seen people come and go and I know what happens when I accept stock in companies. It never is of any value. So he said, I'll only accept cash. So Steve Wozniak and Stephen Jobs did without the Chrome. They fixed up the booth themselves and they kept the stock in Apple computer for themselves. And Jim Egan just kept decorating booths for cash. Sometimes it's a good thing to catch someone else's dream. It's too bad he didn't. That stock would have probably been worth some money. The story of the New Testament is the story of men and women who got close enough to Jesus to catch his vision, to catch his dream. Doesn't it amaze you how quickly the disciples, when he said, come and follow me, left their nets and followed him immediately. Matthew tells us that Jesus was in Capernaum. John the Baptist was now in prison. It seems more than a coincidence that when he heard that John was in prison, Jesus began his ministry, his own ministry of preaching. And he took up where John left off, preaching a message of repentance, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he said. Walking by the Sea of Galilee, he sees these two brothers who were fishermen, Simon and Andrew, casting nets into the sea. And he says to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of people. And Simon and Andrew left their nets, it says, and followed him. Then he saw another set of brothers, James and John, and he called them, and they came too, Matthew tells us. And they left their father and followed him. It seems pretty sudden doesn't it? 
we don't really do things that way these days. There was, there's no discussion recorded, no, we'll think about it and we'll get back to you tomorrow. Seems that these four fishermen acted pretty impulsively, pretty quickly. It seems they were caught up in Jesus and in his vision, his dream. Why did they say yes so quickly? Well, first of all, there must have been something very impressive about this man. Something very impressive about Jesus for them to act so quickly. People don't get swept up that quickly by just an ordinary person. There was something special, some indefinable quality, I think, that set him apart. Of course, we know what that was. He was the Son of God. It's like a story that Dudley Moore tells about the late king of rock and roll, Elvis Presley. He says that in 1956, Presley recorded 17 songs that all made the charts, including five number ones. He had such a huge impact on the music world that songwriters would do almost anything to get Elvis Presley to record one of their songs. Well, there were two songwriters named Jerry Lieber and Mike Stoller who had a little song that they called Hound Dog. Interestingly, Mike Stoller was one of the fortunate survivors from the sinking of an Italian liner called the Andrea Doria. When he arrived back in New York, well, after he nearly died, he arrived back and he found his colleague, Jerry Lieber, waiting at the dock to greet him. And he figured that Jerry was just going to be thrilled that he survived that ship sinking. But Lieber's mind was on something else. Something more important than his friend's lucky escape from death, I guess. His first words to Stoller was this. Elvis Presley is recording Hound Dog. Elvis Presley is recording Hound Dog. Wow. Different people get excited about different things. And he was excited. These four fishermen, Simon, Andrew, James, and John, got excited when they met Jesus. They picked up on his vision, on his dream. They left their families. They left their jobs. They left everything that was important to them for an uncertain future as his followers, his disciples. There must have been, first of all, something very special about Jesus. Secondly, there also must have been something special about Jesus' dream. He was preaching that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What was there about that kingdom that got these fishermen so excited? And why don't we get just as excited? Maybe we don't understand enough about what that kingdom is. There was a lady that read that her dog would get healthier if she gave the dog a spoon of cod liver oil every day. And so, every day she would follow the same routine. She would chase the dog down, hold him down after she caught him and make him drink this spoon of cod liver oil. Then one day, in the middle of the battle, something happened. The bottle got kicked over and spilled onto the floor. Well, she let the dog go for a minute so that she could clean up the mess before it soaked into the carpet. And 
much to her surprise, the dog very calmly walked over to the puddle and began to drink from it. He loved cod liver oil. It was just the lady's method of giving it to him that he didn't like. Maybe that's what's happened with the good news of the kingdom of God. Less and less people want to hear about it. It's been poorly presented in many ways. Sometimes with that presentation or lack of, it doesn't give people an understanding of its beauty and of its power. Jesus had a vision for the world. He had a dream, a picture of how life is intended to be. Jesus saw a world where God ruled in every heart, a world of righteousness, a world of peace, a world of justice, a world of love, a world of harmony, unity, all these things that we don't see today. Sure, Jesus talked about heaven, and he talked about the life in the hereafter, but what we sometimes forget to talk about is that he also had a vision for this world. He called it the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven. Those phrases are interchangeable, Bible scholars tell us. And Jesus said that the kingdom is at hand. It's available. It's not just a pipe dream. It's not some far-off fantasy. It's a real, present possibility. And every once in a while in this life, we catch a little bit of a glimpse of that kingdom. There's a man named J. Edwin Orr who was a professor of church history. He described the great outpouring of the Holy Spirit during the Welsh revivals back in the 1800s. He said that people were seeking the filling of the Holy Spirit. They were confessing the things that they were, that had done wrong and they were making restitution. This caused big problems, big problems for the shipyards where many of these people worked along the coast of Wales. Over the years, workers, you see, had stolen things. And they had taken everything from wheelbarrows to hammers home with them from the docks. And these people were, there was an awakening, a spiritual awakening in this area. And so they were make, trying to make things right. And they started to return what they had stolen. And soon the shipyards were overflowing with all of this stuff that they returned there were such huge piles of return tools and all sorts of things that finally some of the leaders put up these signs. And here's what the signs said. If you have been led by God to return what you have stolen, please know that the management forgives you and wishes you to keep what you have because there wasn't room for all that stuff. Wouldn't you love to see something like that happen today? Couldn't you get excited about a world where people make restitution for their wrongs? Couldn't you get excited about a world where you could always trust people to do the right thing because God lived in their heart? Couldn't you get excited about a world where there would no longer be child abuse, where there would no longer be murder, where there would no longer be broken families or drug addiction? 
A world without fear or poverty? Wouldn't a world like that be wonderful? The disciples got excited. They were swept up in Jesus' dream. They believed a world like that was possible, and they gave, their, gave of themselves and gave of their lives to make it happen. And that brings us to the third truth. The disciples got excited about the part that they would play in helping make Jesus' vision and dream happen. Jesus said to them, I will make you fishers of people. They knew all about fishing for fish, but Jesus was calling them to do something a lot more important. He was calling them to introduce men and women to this kingdom of love, this kingdom of power, this kingdom of heaven on earth and in the, in the hereafter. They would not be spectators of this kingdom. They would take part. They would make a difference, a lasting difference in their world and in individual lives. No wonder they got excited. They were going to help change the world. When missionaries were forced to leave China back in 1951, and Christians began to be oppressed by the communist government there, the future of the church in China looked pretty hopeless. The Cultural Revolution came, and any religious activities were forced to end. It seemed like Christianity in China was doomed and would be no more, but it was not. During this time of terrible persecution, Christians who were committed to God were not afraid to defy the authorities and began to meet secretly in their homes. And when regular church services were outlawed, these informal meetings continued in people's homes. As their pastors were killed or put into prison, lay people came forward and began to provide leadership. Women took an active role. When their houses were searched by the Red Guards and Bibles and all Christian literature was destroyed, the people depended on their memory of Scripture and shared their experiences to build up one another in the faith. As the Christians in these little groups showed extraordinary courage, enthusiasm, and love, the gospel spread to their neighbors. They gave their own food and clothing, took care of the needy and the poor, especially the families whose breadwinners had been killed or thrown into prison. They visited the grieving. They prayed for the sick, often seeing God miraculously heal. Like the way some believers cared for a communist school teacher who became very ill. Their compassion was so, so very real that when she got better, she became a Christian, and she was publicly ridiculed for this. When she was required to appear at a public confession, she protested, and she said, when I was ill, you communists did nothing for me. It was the Christians who cared for me and who did everything. Those words shamed her critics. And the communists, the story goes, shut their mouths and left the meeting. They had nothing to say. Today, the Church of Jesus Christ in China is strong, is alive, and is growing because individual Christians did their part to be fishers of people. May I suggest that we need to understand that the kingdom of heaven is still at hand in this world. It's still a very real possibility. 
wherever there are followers of Jesus who are willing to live out what they believe, there's something very special about Jesus of Nazareth. There's something very special about his vision, very special about his dream. It's a dream of the love of God in every heart. It's a dream of a world free from the grip of people's inhumanity to one another. And God is looking, actively looking for co-workers today, men and women who will be fishers of people, who will introduce their friends and neighbors to this kingdom of heaven and earth. The question we need to ask ourselves is, can he count on me? Amen.